Welcome to the Mr. Vincent Podcast, episode 118. I'm your host, Emmanuel Vincent, and I hope everybody's morning's off to a great start this far. It's a beautiful morning here in Boston. Uh, hold your head up, Seas fans. Just one game. Now, I still have you guys winning the series in six, and I, I did think you guys would win game one, especially with them being out, but it looks like Harden and company had different plans. Uh, that was a great performance by James Harden, vintage. I didn't think he had it in him to do that um, because as, because he's at the past his prime and another stage in his career, but he definitely turned back the hands of the clock and put on the vintage performance, looked like the James Harden of old, Houston Rockets, James Harden, MVP caliber player. Um, and of course, Maxie and Harris helped out, they helped out as well, but he was the driving force and looks like we have this up an interesting series because there is optimism that MB will be ready to go in game two. So let's keep a lookout on that. Uh, now, this episode was recorded about a two hours before that game. So, of course, I couldn't recap that here as well as, rather, I could, yeah, I couldn't recap that here as well as game two between the Suns and the Nuggets. And, and the, the Suns are in trouble. Um, um, I thought that going into the series, I picked the Nuggets to win the six games. And we've seen Chris Paul go out with the love groin injury. Um, but they're just, they just don't have the depth, the youth the athleticism to compete with the Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets are are showing that why they were the best team in the West all season, um, led by Joker as well. Um, Jamal Murray had a terrible game last night, um, but he made some big buckets when it mattered most down the clutch, um, along with KCP as well. Um, as I mentioned, the Suns just don't have enough depth, and this is what happens when you trade for a player of KB, KD's caliber, especially at the trade deadline. In exchange, you have to give up some of your depth, and we're seeing that come back to bite them, at least in the short term. Um, but this episode really just focuses on Steph Curry's amazing game seven performance um, on Sunday against the Kings. He willed that team to victory in a hostile environment, put up 50 points, the most points ever scored in the game seven. Um, that was definitely a masterpiece performance. His magnum opus, the best performance of Steph Curry's career, in my estimation. Um, and then also preview game one between the Lakers and Warriors, which takes place tonight at 1030. Uh, it's going to be a great, great treat for basketball fans. We get LeBron versus Curry one more time, this time in the Western Conference semis. Uh, we, we've seen that. We've seen that battles throughout um, the years um, in the NBA Finals. But I mean, they're still, they are two of the top 10, 15 players of all time. Um, a lot of eyeballs will be in the series. The ratings will be the, to the roof, I'm sure. And the NBA couldn't be more happier um, to get this matchup in the second round. Um, so obviously we'll talk about that. And also talk about the Heat and the Knicks. Uh, game two takes place tonight at 7, 7.30. Um, here up one nothing as they're still in one in Madison Square Garden on Sunday. Um, so that's the podcast overall. And we can guess to get into it right now. Here it is. An amazing performance by Steph Curry yesterday that helped the Warriors advance past the Grizzlies in seven games. That was definitely a masterpiece by him. I personally think now his magnum opus. Because in real time, I was thinking to myself and actually tweeted, but like, you know what? This is arguably a top five Chef Curry performance. And then as like two minutes in, two minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'm like, I, retw- I tweeted again, nah, definitely a top five. Not maybe, definitely a top five. <laughs> but now I have missed the whole day to think about it. 
I don't see they another better performance that he put on. I mean, considering the stakes, game seven on the road in a hostile environment, um, his supporting cast was lackluster to say the, to say the least. In terms mm-hmm. of scoring, like Poole, Wiggins, and um, Clay. But Clay did what he had to do and scored 50, the first ever 50 ball in game seven. Uh, what were your thoughts watching that game in real time, if you did? Uh, just the hearts being ripped out of every Sacramento fan, slowly but surely, um, as the second half started. Because um, the Kings were up uh, 58-56 going into the half. And I'm like, okay, the Kings are playing well. Klay Thompson's having a dud. I mean, if they just I'm like if they just contain Curry a little bit here, maybe they have a good chance of advancing. Like, you know, and just the, seeing Steph Curry just go ape shit in the second half, basically scoring 30 in the second half. Um, really putting the team on his back, as you said. Clay wasn't playing well. Wiggins wasn't playing well, at least offensively. Um, the only guy that was kind of helping him out in certain ways there was kind of Kevon Looney on the glass. But as you said, just Steph scoring 50, as you said, it was just an awesome performance on the road. Like, if they would have lost this game, when you think about it, it's like this could have been the end of their run in the first round. Like, Steph Curry losing in the first round. Draymond Green, we don't know about his future. Clay Thompson, like all these guys that you're sitting here, like this is the last iteration of that team if they lose in the first round. And for Steph Curry to realize that moment and just step up and say, and and these are moments that we always look for in superstars' career, right? Like when things aren't going right, when things look grim, when things aren't looking well, they step up in those moments. And he did it by far like where you thought at the end of the third quarter when they were up 10 it was just like, oh, I don't see how Sacramento can answer. <laughs> you know, so just seeing Steph Curry be one of the greats, he's just adding to his legacy um, kind of into old age, right? Like you think guys wear down and stuff like that, all the injuries he's had, you think about his injury history and even the injuries that he's had in the past couple of years, it's like, yo, he should be slowing down. And it's like in these moments he gets stronger, he finds another level, and that's what the great ones do. Absolutely. I mean, at age 35, I think that this is the best Steph Curry that we've ever seen. And that's kind of crazy considering the fact that he went back-to-back and picked in his 16 league MVP awards. But I also think this mm-hmm. is the best version because I feel like he handled double team a lot better than he did back then. And he's, mm-hmm. he's got more upper body strength and he's able to go to the basket and, and absorb contact defense mm-hmm. in the rim. Now he's not, he's not timid to go to the rim, which I always felt was a knock on him back in, like, 2015, 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one thing that we were talking about like, in the last episode with uh, Trey Young, right? Like, where, like, the first thing I pointed out was, like, he doesn't have the body yet, you know, mm-hmm. in all these Steph Curry uh, comparisons. Steph Curry has transformed his body as he's gotten older, gotten stronger. You think about other guys like that, Reggie Miller. Like, Reggie Miller got bigger and stronger, even to a certain degree, even though MJ's a different athletic freak. He got more strength, more muscle as he got older. So that's the one thing in all these guys' bodies – over the years when people say, oh, they're not ready, they're slight of build, it's like give them time to work on their body and eventually we'll see the real full potential of these guys. And Steph Curry at 35, (laughs) you know, he's already MVP, won the finals MVP last year, multiple-time champion, and it's like this is the reason why we can believe that he can play until 40, kind of like a LeBron, kind of like a Kobe, like other guys like that in terms of that nature, like where their careers can get stretched out because they improve their bodies, they work on their bodies. And we're seeing it right now. And, and, and everyone else on the Golden State Warriors probably were gassed, you know what I mean, just the way they came out. And Steph Curry just found another level. He's probably the highest-conditioned athlete um, in the game right now in terms of just stamina, the ability to play a lot of minutes. 
and he's showing that, and and he's showing all that work that he's put in is paying off. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would assume that he does the workouts of soccer players. I'm just gonna guess because he's always constantly moving, even without the basketball, which leaves defenses petrified. You cannot mm-hmm. lose sight of Steph Curry and he, and his stamina be able to move without the basketball constantly relocate. It's, it just wins mm-hmm. a team out over the course of a series. I think that's what happens. You the game, like along with inexperience. Like, even watching that, you basically, like, this is why he's great, right? Like, you have to create a game plan for his off-ball movement. <laughs> like, I saw him run around, like, he darted from one corner to the other and then got a screen, and they had, the, the Kings had to switch it. They had to switch it on the off-ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? That usually happens in a pick-and-roll, they switch there. Like, they literally had to switch off-ball to try to just keep up with him. And, and it's just, like, little things like that, the gravity he creates, the attention he creates, and it's like... That's one one of the things. It's different from, like, uh, I was talking to somebody. I'm like, it's different from, like, a post player where they command a double team, right? Mm-hmm. With him, you don't – at least with a big man, you know where they're going to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to be um, in the paint. Even a wing player, they're going to be on the wing. They're going to be at the elbow. Steph Curry, you truly don't know where he's going to be. And he can and, – and he's created this thing called relocation um, that where he's moving without the ball, like, or he misses a shot and is able to relay, re- relocate off the offensive rebound to an open space. It's like there's there's just different dynamics of a defense that you have to think of when you're playing him. You can't just sit there and be like, all right. Um, and I've said this to people, and they've argued against it. I'm like, on those pick and rolls, if Draymond Green is going to score 30, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said this many times, even when the Celtics last year in the finals. I'm like, if Draymond Green is going to score 30 and beat me, I'll shake his hand. <laughs> you cannot, because you cannot, you cannot let him get off. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, and I'm going to play the odds there because Draymond's not a great finisher. He's not going to – he gets his dunks and stuff like that. But if you get him enough to just make him react, he's going to shake off his shot. He's obviously a good passer out of those situations as well as he hits drives, to the, uh, hits people who cut to the basket and stuff like that. But it's like, I would rather live with that than let Steph Curry get off <laughs> at any point, <laughs> at any point. Yeah, facts, man. So I, I was looking at that game and I'm thinking, where did it go wrong for the Kings? And I, I would pinpoint in the second half, in the second half when Gabon Louis just, it seemed like he was basically getting every offensive board possible that was like out there. He was getting everything. And I felt like mm-hmm. I, I was starting to see a deterioration of confidence in the Kings and the inexperience was coming into play where the Warriors were just like just showing outclassing them and every facet mm-hmm. well, secondly step. Um but I, I just feel like they kind of I don't want to say they gave up, but they were a little demoralized, I would say. Absolutely. Yep, yep. I would agree with that. Like like we think about all the things with the shooting of the game and stuff like that, the evolution, the three point shot, the spreading of the floor. And those things that come to creep in during playoff basketball defense. And especially, as I always say, rebounding. Rebounding is so important on both sides because we saw it with Kevon Looney the other day. Like, and throughout the series, I think, like, Kevon Looney has really kept him alive with his work on the boards. Absolutely. In terms of just – like, just let, let's just talk about that in the second half, grabbing all those offensive rebounds. You're giving Steph Curry more chances to shoot the basketball? <laughs> like, simple like that. Like, little things like that matter. And that's why – the Warriors, even though we saw them being down, um, Clay Thompson not being able to shoot, Draymond not being as effective, Kavon Looney's rebounding, as you said, that that was the start of it because that that has been a problem all series. Sabonis has been battling, but he just doesn't have that knack, especially against a big body like Kavon Looney. Um, 
so those little things like that. And I also thought, uh, as you said, the rebounding took over. I thought the uh, rim protection wasn't there. Things that would deter all those points that Steph Curry was getting, other guys were getting in the paint. They didn't have that. <laughs> Sabonis is not a shot blocker, unfortunately. And it's just like, damn, that's the one thing that they were probably missing that could have quelled a run there. And it just, they just didn't have that. Those are the two things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like they got into the penalty early on. Sacramento did in the third quarter, which allowed them to go to the line a lot. But like, 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 like at the eight, seven minute mark in the third quarter? Yeah, like uh, Fox had a couple of fouls. They had a couple of fouls there. Yeah, like Terrence David and other guys had a couple of fouls in there. And it's just like, you don't want to do that because now you're not getting as many opportunities. You're basically giving them free points as Steph Curry and those guys go to the line. And even though they didn't shoot it well, you're still putting yourself in trouble um, putting those guys on the line. You know what I mean? So um, it, it's not going to be easy at that point. <laughs> you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're not getting, you're not getting on the glass. You're not stopping Curry, and you're sending them to the line when their offense outside of Curry isn't really that good. That's tough. <laughs> and and you're taking yourself out of a rhythm offensively. Yeah, and especially with the Kings, that's very important. Yep, yep. And we see how they were struggling from three, especially in the third. Like it's, it's like they couldn't hit anything. Absolutely. And then like it, and then and then just like on top of that, especially. Like, the Kings' defense was held, holding up the, throughout the series, like, where it was like, okay, the Kings can get, have shown that they can get some stops. And then in game seven, it just didn't happen. <laughs> it's like it just that 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 whole – because they're not a good defensive team, but it's like they were at least able to get some stops over the course of the series. And then just to see that, it's just like it finally, finally met its match. <laughs> Facts. I mean, I'm not going to say that just – like, I'm not going to uh, – you know, all these hot takes that are going on ever since this morning. Is the Kings' season a failure – um, I want to say it's a failure because you lost to a team that, let's be honest, this is not this is what not your typical six seed team. This is the yeah, yeah, yeah. Team. <laughs> the best six seed ever in, in league history. So with that being said, mm-hmm. um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill them too much. It's not, but it's not really a good look to lose like that on your own court in a game seven to get blown out of century. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's tough. But it's like out of all the things that they were battling, their young team. They were up too well. They had the advantage. You know, they had multiple times to – I believe they lost a game uh, – what was the one in Oracle where they lost by one? Uh, game four. Mm-hmm. Game four. So, it's like they had their opportunities there to take it. And at multiple times, you know, they went into Oracle game six and took that game. And it's like, okay, all the momentum's on their side. Um, everything's on the Warriors. And in those moments, we've seen the Warriors answer those questions more often than not, right? Like, they're the more experienced team, and that's what really – um, propelled them. Of course, an awesome performance by Steph Curry where basically they needed every point. Yeah, they won by 20, but it's like a couple of those – like if, if Steph scored 35, it probably wouldn't have been enough, right? Like there was a cap on there where it was like the Kings could kind of sort of find their way back into it, and it's like Steph Curry exploded. <laughs> and there's not many guys who can stop him. There's not, there's not a fire extinguisher that you can put out, especially when he gets going. So it's like um, – yeah, it's tough. It's tough for Sacramento, but it's like they can still look on their season and say, hey, we won seven with the defending champs. Um, we had our chances in that series. So it's like there's some positives, of course. Like people always say losing, there's no positives in losing. Some people say that stuff. And it's like for where this team was even a year ago out of the playoffs, the history of there of them not being in the playoffs, I feel like they have something that's, uh, especially in this day and age with their offense, how impactful it is, how fast they play, that's that they can go on. They just need to add a little keep – well, one, keep building 
and try to find some defense there in, in terms of the paint, if you can do that. Like, like uh, there's some guys out there that I'm thinking about for them. Uh, depending on what happens in Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez, I would instantly try to be like, yo, come play with us. <laughs> we, we need you out here and just try to figure something Because it's like um, that was one of the main things. I'm like, they don't have rim protection and they don't have rebounding, even though he's not a great rebounder. But you need somebody who's savvy on defense enough to protect the paint um, for the Kings going forward. And they're probably going to up that. I mean, they got a bright future, but they're probably going to upgrade the wing spot. Harrison Barnes in particular, because I believe he's a free agent this season. I'm not saying he's unrestricted or restricted, but he mm-hmm. didn't cut it. And, they, and now I think we see why the Warriors weren't <laughs> to, to, to not sign him in favor of Kevin Durant back in 2016. Well, I mean, but at the same time, it's Kevin, it's Kevin Durant. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure they weren't, like, holding off a deal like the Harrison Barnes. Like, they weren't, like, hesitant to, you know, to like, let him go in favor of Kevin Durant. I mean, I think we yeah. see it throughout the course of this series. I mean, he's played well for them in the past as they were building, right? But mm-hmm. at this point where it's like, okay, there needs to be an upgrade at that spot. Uh, Keegan Murray's a younger guy. He's, he's trying to work his way into that role. Um, but Harrison Barnes, yeah, they yeah, they need a spot. <laughs> he needs, they need to upgrade that spot, unfortunately. And it's not, I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. It's kind of like with uh, Jay Crowder and Phoenix, right? It's like, you know, like we understand what you bring to the table, but it's like, we kind of need to go in this direction for the benefit of the team. Uh, you've been great, so I mean, he's got to find a he's got to find a way to either take a reserve role for them or um, find another team. But they definitely need to upgrade. They need to figure out something in that spot. Absolutely. So I want to change this now to Tuesday, so we know we're set. War Lakers Warriors. Now everybody's talking about Steph Curry, LeBron James, two of the all-time greats to ever play the game. That's going to be a, a great matchup right there in itself, right? But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, as a Lakers fan, I'm not comfortable with the series. Do I want Lakers to win? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm telling people who, who I, uh, that, that think they know basketball that um, the Warriors are going to win the series. I, and I simply say for this reason, tell me if you agree with me. I say that in order to beat the Warriors, you have to have competent, productive, Efficient guard play. Now, look, now, now mm-hmm. let's look. Now, let's look at what we've seen um, in the Kerr Curry era. They only lost two series, right? 2016 and 2019 NBA Finals. 2016, Kyrie, 27 points per game, 46% field goal shooting, plus 33 in the field, 40% from three. Kyle mm-hmm. Lowry in the NBA Finals, 15 points per game, seven assists per game, plus 33 on uh, plus 33, right on the court. Um, now. D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder, I'm not confident that they are going to be consistent enough in order for the Lakers to pull this off. I've seen a lot in the Memphis series of miscommunications, some terrible passes, sloppy, sloppy play. Mm-hmm. I can't rely on them that they're going to execute to beat this Warriors team that just gives like, the league hell, basically, for mm-hmm. the past five, seven years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um <sighs> Now, like, uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I do think the Warriors can win this series. I think the Lakers can win this series because the one thing that the Warriors are able to do that I think the Memphis Grizzlies weren't able to do was go small and play effective. Yeah. And that's the one thing that the Warriors have done. They have shown they have done. They're able to put those guys out there, spread you out, pick and roll you to death, and kill you from outside where Memphis wasn't able to do that. We saw them leave Dylan Brooks open. 
they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to do that. And I think Dylan Brooks was the reason why Memphis had no chance um, <laughs> over the course of that series. We I picked the Grizzlies to win that series, and Dylan Brooks showed me why I was wrong. Um, but enough hating on Dylan Brooks. But again, I think the Warriors' strength is that they have that ability to go small. Um, I think the Lakers have the advantage of going big in those situations as well. But I think what you're saying about D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder, it puts a lot of pressure on Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, um, Vanderbilt, these guys to defend these pick and rolls, navigate through all that. So the the Warriors know what they need to do. They're going to attack the, the point guards of that team. They're going to attack, put them in pick and roll. Even LeBron at this stage of his career, they're going to put him in those pick and rolls and try to wear him down. Um, Anthony Davis, again, is the X factor. If he's able to control the glass, um, block shots, being able to be that defender that they need in the paint to keep things perimeter-oriented for the Warriors and deter some things, they have a good shot. And their ability to play big is the strength of the Lakers and slow things down, maybe get the Warriors out of a rhythm, but it's like that's tough, Like especially with Steph Curry, the way he's playing. Clay Thompson's probably not going to shoot like that again. Um, we'll see if the, there's, there's a lot of question marks on both sides, but I can see the Warriors winning that. Um, but man, it's tough. It's tough. I, I don't know. Like <laughs> you, you got LeBron on one side and AD that duo, if healthy, LeBron's not healthy. Of course, we, we know about the bad foot. We know Anthony Davis can get hurt on the fly. Um, the depth, I think that's the only way the Lakers can kind of push it is if the depth is there, if they have some guys off the bench that really provide some, uh, uh, separation and, and, and impactfulness that we've seen the Warriors struggle with their bench, right? Like Dante DiVincenzo, Kavon, uh, not Kavon Moody, uh, Moses Moody, uh, John Domingo. If they can get those guys in the deep water, I think that can be tough for them. But, um, yeah, I can see the uh, – I don't know. This is a tough series, man. But this is every series. This is what you want, contrasting styles. Um, two legendary players, all-stars, guys that have been deep in playoff runs. Um, this is tough. This is tough. Um, that's tough. I'm just thinking about the depth of the Lakers right now because I was with you, what you were saying. Like, you need a fishing guard play. You need to not turn over the ball uh, against the Golden State Warriors. You need to be able to cover Curry, cover to shut down these shooters. Uh, that's tough, man. That's tough. And also, think, if the Lakers are going to win the series, I think AD might have to be the best player on the Lakers to win this in order for them to pull the series off. So meaning like, or at least have that mindset that he's the best player, where he got to be like, be be aggressive consistently, not be timid, not not like fade away, be able to bend that note with Looney, which I think he would have an advantage because he's a lot bigger than him, right? Mm-hmm. So I um, think that he has to have that mindset. Yeah, he definitely has to have that mindset. For the Lakers to do anything, he has to be the best player on the floor, right? Like they can't keep depending on Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Even LeBron James to a certain extent. Like, LeBron James is going to do his thing. You know, he's going to get 20 and 10 and roughly around there. But Anthony Davis, this is what they brought you here for. They, they Like, the, the the Warriors, if you get Kevon Looney in foul trouble, they are small. And in those moments, whenever he goes to the bench, you have to take advantage of that and beat them up. <laughs> you have to use your size, and you have to dominate Draymond Green. You have to be able to punish these guys consistently in order for your team to have a chance and win. Yes, he has to be the best player on the floor. Exactly. I mean, this is a, a treat for all basketball fans. Like, we talk about LeBron Curry. Probably, I would say, two of the top 10, 15 players of all time. I don't really want to get into ranking because I'm, I'm tired of seeing this. These hard players <laughs> coming fresh off the press after game seven performance. So, I'll leave it as the first take and the undisputed of the world. 
spot. I would say mm-hmm. two of the top 10, 15 players of all time, right? Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time that we got like these these high level players playing together, playing in the same series that that at least it happened in the conference finals or NBA finals. And I, it, it seems like like that this would be the conference finals matchup from that standpoint. Yeah, because I was still, as you were talking, I'm like I, I thought of a couple people, but it was the conference finals or the finals. Um, you think about Kobe and Duncan. Uh, you think about finals. You think about Karl Malone and Michael Jordan, two guys who were probably at that time top 15, 10, 10, whatever the case you want to call it at that time, of those guys being of that caliber, this type of resume. Uh, yeah, that's tough. And then, like, we're getting it around, too. <laughs> and that's how crazy the season has been, right? So um, you just think about all the history. Argu- um, those guys are both from Ohio, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah, they are. I think, I they, think they one of the same hospital too. If I'm, yeah, like everything. Like when you think about all the history, the 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 going back and forth. Like when LeBron was getting his supremacy in the league, Curry kind of entered that chat where you thought it would have been Kevin Durant, you thought it would have been Kawhi Leonard, all these other guys. You thought it was, Kobe Bryant would have been there, of course, early in the, on those runs and stuff like that. You thought about all these guys fighting for supremacy. And Steph Curry comes in the back door, is able to build this uh, dynasty out there in Golden State. And has been a thorn in LeBron's side, right? History-wise, historically. Um, yeah. And we thought we thought LeBron put him away in that uh, that season when they were in the playing game. Uh, I think it was LeBron's second season, right? When they were in the uh, playing game together. I believe it was second. I think it was the second. Yeah, it was the second season. So the first season he yeah. made the playoffs with Lakers. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, you, and you're thinking, and you're thinking there, like, oh, maybe that's the end of the Warriors. That's the end of Steph Curry. And Steph Curry has turned around even after LeBron's championship with the Lakers during the bubble season. You think about Steph Curry fighting to get in the playoffs, all the stuff. You're like, oh, this is the breakdown of the Golden State Warriors. And then they're able to turn around. They're able to get another championship. And he's playing at a high level right now, one of the best players. Like where you thought Steph Curry was about to fall out of that top echelon of players just because of the wear and tear on his body. He was breaking down. And he's here again. (laughs) You know what I mean? So just thinking about the history of these guys, of course, Golden State and Cleveland, now we're getting into L.A. and Golden State. They're both in the same city, both in the same state. Like, all the stuff going down. And it's just like, yeah, I can't remember a, a matchup like this. You would probably have to go to the 80s to get that type of matchup. Well, again, as you said, those are the conference finals. But it's just like when you get these type of legendary matchups between two guys, it, this is crazy. Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Absolutely. So I want to say another thing about my, like, like my like respect for the Warriors, um, why I think it's gonna be hard for the Lakers to beat them or anybody else for that matter left in the playoffs. What I seen last year in the final, and I hate to bring it up. I know you, I know, I know yourself is guy, but I hate to bring it up. The fact that what I that I thought in my mind that while they were gonna win, Steph Curry wouldn't, wouldn't be efficient. But the fact that he was efficient against that defense last year, the Celtics, which was f- fucking great. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, well, he's gonna kill me. <laughs> you can do. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he shot 50% from the field in the finals last year. And that's yeah, crazy. Like, I thought he would be like around 42, 43%. One, oh, well, well, I'm going to say this. I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this in, in, in any playoff team that the Warriors face going forward in the playoffs. Stop yeah. with the drop coverage. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like, don't do that shit. Like, please, whatever you do, if you're going to have a chance at any series against Steph Curry, please stop it. De- As I said, I, I've said it earlier. I would rather have Draymond Green score 40 
<laughs> and shake his hand in a loss and say, hey, I'm fine with that, rather than have Steph Curry go off and kill me. And, and it's just like, as you said, like, don't do the drop coverage. Um, you're giving one of the best shooters ever, and he's only getting stronger <laughs> as he's getting older. <laughs> like, stop doing that, please. Like, can we stop doing that? Like, yeah, and it's going to be tough, and especially these guys who are not great defensively for the Lakers. Uh, you got Dennis Schroeder, who he, he can get steals. You got D'Angelo Russell. They're not good defenders. And to navigate all that defensively, I'm pretty sure uh, that's keeping uh, uh, Darvin Ham and the Lakers up at night because you have to – if you have any chance, you have to figure out how to navigate that and what you're going to give up and what you're going to do in those situations. Yeah, exactly. And then the fact that the Warriors would just, like, play a brand of basketball that is virtually extinct into this NBA would cause mm-hmm. the man movement, ball movement, nobody's holding the ball, and they're not heavy ISO. It's just beautiful basketball. And, and it, it's easy to get, easy to get like, miscommunication and, and um, get errors going on the, on the defensive side of the ball. So mm-hmm. it's going to be tough, man, for anybody, including the Lakers. Yeah, and I, I think, and again, in that series, Andrew Wiggins has to be that X factor that he was last year, right? Like. Yeah. He was able to find his footing this series and, and come back and play well for them. But he's going to have to take it up another level. He's going to have to outperform all those forwards. Like, he's going to have to play big time on the boards. He's going to have to get in there and rough it up, be a monster defensively. I'm pretty sure he's going to have the matchup on LeBron um, in, in most in most situations. Like, he's going to have to step up again and definitely be a factor for them. Yeah, man. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna be a tough task for Andrew Wiggins going up against LeBron James. Oh, yeah. anybody for that matter. Yeah, even yeah. At, even, even at this point, LeBron James' career, it's gonna be a tough. Task. But I, I think it had to be more of a job, more of a job done by a committee as opposed to relying on Andrew Wiggins to successfully mm-hmm, slow LeBron James down. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. But um, uh, I want to take a quick break and talk about um some games that took place this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. The Nuggets routed the Suns in game one, 125 to 107. Um, I don't think that that should come as a surprise. Um, I have concerns about Phoenix going into the playoffs, and I think that they were on full display in game one. I know it's only game one. We shouldn't overreact, but it was pretty alarming to me. Um, What say you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it's alarming. And I picked the Nuggets in six in this series. I just, be- I just believe that the depth is going to catch up to them. And the, uh, uh, the disadvantage that the Phoenix Suns have is the ability to get stops right now. And it was a lot easier against the Clippers who were out without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And that's why I saw the explosion from, uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Uh, but, it's all the other things. It's the others stepping up for the Denver Nuggets. And, of course, Jamal Murray had his great performance and really takeover mode in the second half there. Um, but I was I was impressed by the whole Denver Nuggets, just the depth of them, the ability to attack different ways where Phoenix really doesn't have that option. Um, I thought Aaron Gordon played well. He was able to knock down some shots and really get to the rim and get to the basket. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and it's kind of similar to kind of how the Kings are right now, right? Like they're, they're the high-impact offensive team, but they don't have any rim protection. Kevin Durant has gotten some blocks and stuff like that throughout his time there. But when you're looking at it, it's just like I, I just don't trust any of their, their those top four guys, right? Like 
Tory Craig has kind of picked up a little bit over the in, in, over the course of the season. Um, but in terms of defensively, those guys that they really needed in that trade with Kevin Durant, you know, uh, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, a lot of those switches that were happening, a lot of those defensive stances that you really needed, I don't see it from this team. <laughs> I don't see it. And I think that's going to be the difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree with you 110%. When that trade went down, people were saying, uh, well, obviously the trade for Kevin Durant, that the Suns were in win-now mode. I would just take it down a little bit and say they were in win-now mode starting next season. Because I feel like giving up all that they gave up for him, Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, you did to put in your roster. While Katie is a great player, top 15, top 15 of all time in my, in my eyes, you yep, still yep. I need that that depth to help you through in playoff series against they with a team like Denver, who's also who supporting guys has been around for like, what the last four to five years, maybe? Uh, well, last, last three to five years, I would say. So they are they are so deep. You talk about Aaron Gordon, what he did, he was just literally having his way with them physically. They had, they had no answer for him. And Jamal yeah, Murray is looking like almost looking like the Bubba Murray. I, I love the response to when Chuck asked him, is it more Bubba Murray or, or is it regular Murray? He said it's both. Like, I, I love that mm-hmm. confidence that he has because, you know, him being out basically the last two, two postseasons, I feel like he probably felt like he's kind of let the Joker down, but to no fault of his own. Things happen. You get hurt, you get hurt. But I know that yeah. Joker – I know Joker's really relieved that he can just really just just be the facilitator that he loves to be, not have to be so mm-hmm. aggressive like that and get everybody involved, pick his spots on offense. This, this is like a utopia for the Joker. Um, and just to have that offensive help, right? Like, we knew uh... – Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were out last year with their injuries and stuff like that. So to turn it over and 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 really have – and I said this at the start of the season. I'm like, Joker's purpose this season is to get those guys more comfortable, right, in terms of taking those shots more, getting them ingratiated into the offense, everybody, because that's kind of what he's been doing over the course of his time there. And especially after last season, seeing what he did um, carrying that team now to have that offensive help, yeah, yeah, guys, go ahead and get your shots. <laughs> Take advantage of those mismatches, right? And and to do that, I'm pretty sure he's relieved. And I think that's the one thing where people were kind of sleeping on the Denver Nuggets. And, of course, it's only game one, of course. You're right. But everyone was sleeping on the Denver Nuggets. I'm like, those guys in terms of Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, those guys have been getting ready all season. Yeah, like especially as a unit, getting everybody back in the fold healthy, and I think Mike Malone has done a fantastic job of staying on those guys, and and we saw it in Game One, uh, the Denver Nuggets' ability to get those type of stops that you think they won't get, right? Like we don't think of the Denver Nuggets as a high defensive team and stuff like that, but you got KCP there, you got Bruce Brown there, you got uh, Aaron Gordon there, like guys that really get after it on that side of the ball. And I think that's the one thing that they realized from the past couple seasons that they needed to address, and they did. So um, to get that type of help for, for Joker and Murray, that's good. And then we even saw Jeff Green go in there and get some minutes. So there's more guys you can count on for Denver than you can Phoenix right now, I think. Uh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up KCP and Bruce Brown because I was going to bring them up as well. Two players that mm-hmm. are a key addition in the offseason for the Nuggets. KCP obviously has championship pedigree, winning the chip with the Lakers in the bubble. Three-point shooter, Bruce Brown, highly active on highly active player, athletic. I thought last year he was probably the third most important player on the Nets after KD and Kyrie, honestly. Mm-hmm. Bruce Brown, yep. So to have him there in Denver as a plus for them as well. And Jeff Green, it's kind of crazy that he's actually still this effective in the game, considering I believe this is the 16th season because he was in the same class with KD. 
Al Horford in the 08, and I think this is year 16. That's mm-hmm. crazy. You don't see you don't see players of his caliber last for this long. And you think about his, you think about it, yeah, you think about his heart surgery as well, like how yeah, that can yeah. impact his career. So to just see him keep going and playing well and putting in these moments where he can go and get a defensive stop, where he can always have the occasional body posterizing dunk that he's still getting at this age, um, it's good for him. And again, just to find that spot in Denver where people probably probably wrote him off as well as a rotational player, as a backup and stuff like that, he's been able to fit real well with Denver. Um, so kudos to him as always. Yeah, and I hope I said 08 and not 18. Just want to make sure. He came in the yeah. 08 draft, Jeff Green. Yep, 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 yep. Game two is tonight, I believe, at 10.30. Um, do you see that the Suns winning this game? Possibly? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm probably out on the Suns right now, but I'm probably people are going to call me crazy and stuff like that. But it's like they don't – I don't think they have the defenders. I think they have to double down on their offense if that's the case. They have to get a little bit more out of Chris Paul. They have to find somebody that they can rely on. I, th- I saw Josh Landell come in when Aiton was in foul trouble yesterday and give him a, a little something. So I think he might be able to uh, pinpoint that. But guys that you thought would have came over, Terrence Ross, T.J. Warren, that you thought would have been big, impactful players for them, they have not been able to do much, right? They've been injured and hurt. And Monty Williams has been trying to find someone to rely on. Josh Okogie is a guy that he relies on, of course. But guys like Shamit, Damian Lee. Um, Bismack Miyambo. I don't know how much they can help you in this series. And I don't see them stopping their pick and roll of uh, the Denver Nuggets. I don't see them – the way the Nuggets push to basketball after a miss and transition and stuff like that I think is just overwhelming. And the, the Nuggets run. And they have that high altitude out there. It's going to be tough. And uh, I think Charles Barkley said it on TNT. He said those guys are going to have to play the whole game for them to have a chance, right? Like, And, I mean, and they are basically playing the whole game. But logging in – yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty-five plus minutes in game one. I think Booker cracked forty. Yeah, he did. So it's like you're you're really, and they played a high they played a high minutes total in the Clippers series. So you're turning around and looking at this now, and it's like, like Denver can throw somebody in there for five minutes and give a spell to a guy if they need it. For the Phoenix Suns, I'm not sure they can do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I think the um, Nuggets go up two zero tonight. I don't mm-hmm. think that they can turn it around to be victorious in game two, the Phoenix Suns, that is. Um, and you're talking about Chris Paul. You might need more from Chris Paul. That might be a little bit too much to ask for him right now in this stage of his career. Especially I keep, like, like, against Jamal Murray in year 18. People, people keep giving him crap, and I'm like, he's old. <laughs> like, I'm like, yo, he's 30, what, nine, eight? Like, I, yo, I like, like, if this was Chris Paul at 30, I would have no issues with the Phoenix Suns because – Chris Paul at that time, being the defender he is, he would be able to navigate that. Being the mastermind controller he is on the offensive end, he's 39, people. <laughs> like, I don't know what you expect him to do, like how much he can help. Like, I, I don't – that's – I don't – I'm don't. i not going to put this on him. Maybe – again, maybe that's a glaring situation. Maybe they need to upgrade at that spot, whatever the case may be, just because of the, the window opportunity and whatever that is. It's like, he's old, man. <laughs> Like, I don't know what y'all expecting, man. I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, I just I just don't see them having answers for the uh, Denver Nuggets on that side. And it's a big ax of Chris Paul to sit there and be like, yo, we need you to defend. We need you to steal. We need you to be a disruptive. Run the offense. And I, I just don't think – I think Phoenix messed up a lot in terms of not getting a backup point guard, not getting a backup. They tried with the wing position with T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross. They haven't paid off. And I just don't see them – 
finding any answers. They might be able to get a, as I said, I said I have them in six. They might be able to get a game or two, but to win this series, I don't have them. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny how you talk about how people like give Chris Paul a lot of crap. I, I just feel like a player like LeBron has like kind of like dwarfed people's re- like reality when it comes to judging players in the 80s there or older. Like this is not LeBron is an anomaly. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen. The, 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 the norm is Chris Paul right now. You, you, your skill sets, your athleticism stuff is interior as time as you as you're in the stage of your career. And that's what we're seeing here with our own eyes with Chris Paul. And Love the death, first by the Hall of Famer, but he looked like his time's coming to an end sooner rather than later. And and the only two guys that I think about that always come to kind of physical size, kind of bigger guys are Carl Malone and LeBron James, right? Like LeBron and Carl Malone were athletic freaks. Like, and it was a different time when Carl Malone played. He could kind of lumber against the big guys. Carl Malone wasn't chasing nobody on the perimeter. Like, <laughs> like he's not getting called out in switches. Like that just wasn't the NBA at that time. And when you look at LeBron, he's kind of been able to take the defensive off the past couple of years, right? Like half a decade, five years plus, right? But yeah. he's been able to be on that side of the ball and, and kind of pick pick and choose his spots when defensively. It's like it's different for Chris Paul. Like, yo, you you every team has a good guard. <laughs> like Orlando has Markel Fultz. Like it, on nights, Houston has Jalen Green, who's an ox. Explosive score. You have these guys that can score, and most offenses run through the guard. So, <laughs> like every night, he has a problem. It's not easy at his stage. Yeah, exactly. And I think the only and yeah, exactly. Guards usually don't play in the ATC in the NBA, and I think we know the reason why because they break down. They they have a lot. They have a lot of responsibility on their plate to deal with it at, at an advanced age. And the only guy I think that played as long as Chris Paul. I believe was John Stockton, and he's and he's better than John Stockton was in, in his final year. Really. Yeah, so it's just again, it's just different. Like that's like guys don't do that. <laughs> guys don't hang on this long and play this well and be that effective as we saw Chris Paul when they went to the finals. Like lead the league in clutch points, uh, lead OKC to the playoffs. Like guards don't do that. That's not normal. <laughs> like, this is not normal behavior we're getting from LeBron James and Chris Paul at, at this stage of their career. Like, this is not normal. This is not something that we're used to seeing. So, I think people need to lay off Chris Paul a little bit there. And and, and, and it's tough on Phoenix because it's like, they don't really have any guys to back up these guys right now. And that's the issue. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Lay, lay, off, the, lay off the point guard standard. Chris Paul. <laughs> Um, so I want to talk to you about uh, yesterday's uh, um, game too between the Heat and the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks, Knicks, sorry, the Heat win rather 108 101, taking 10 lead. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he wasn't his, he wasn't his superhero self that he was in the last two games of the first round, but still contributed 25 points, 11 rebounds, had a bum ankle and late in the fourth, but you know, still able to you know play through it. I, I love Jimmy Butler's mentality. A real '90s mentality, real mid late '90s mentality player. Um, Jalen Brunson was bad from the field. Rather, the whole Knicks from a whole, especially from three, seven to thirty-four from beyond the arc. Um, what were your takeaways from Game One in the series? Um, uh, I think this was just an experience thing. Uh, yeah. Miami Heat. A lot of their guys have made deep playoff runs. Even you think about guys, guys like uh, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, um, Kevin Love. Kyle Lowry, like all these guys have played deep playoff runs, especially last year when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics. Like, so these guys have been in big time games, know the importance of it. 
um, have a coach like Eric Spolstra who gets them ready for the moment. And at times, I, I thought early in the game, I think they were down like 10, 14 points, somewhere around there. And the Miami Heat methodically able to come back. Um, but this is a total, as you said, uh, Jimmy Butler type performance type game, 90s throwback type player for a 90s throwback series, right? Like this, we all know the the history between Pat Riley and the Knicks and Ewing and Morning and uh, LJ and Morning and all those battles that they had. Um, so this is that type of series because they those guys kind of still play the same way as they did back then, right? Like slow, methodical, <laughs> defensive, high intensity. Like this is that series. Um, and I just thought that was the better of it. And um, I thought Gabe Vincent played well. I thought he was the difference right there to knock down a bunch of shots. And Kyle Lowry kind of had a throwback game. Um, but I think New York, especially without Randall, I thought yeah. that hurt them all. Just to have another offensive guy out there, I thought that helped him. I don't know about his status going forward, but um, they desperately need him. And I, I think that showed it in yesterday's game, even as well as R.J. Barrett played and, and, and Jalen Brunson played and, and Mitchell Robinson, like all those guys did what they could. But they needed that extra guy that Josh Hart wasn't able to fill that role. Obi Toppin even played well. So it's just like I think they need Julius Randle just to create the mismatch on offense and get the heat in a little bit more foul trouble. Um, I think that's a big thing they missed in yesterday in game one. Facts. Oh, yeah. Uh, breaking news just came up from Wolves. Uh, so, Joel Embiid has been officially ruled out of game one with optimism of a return in game two. So, you heard it here in the podcast first. Well, you guys will probably hear it tomorrow. Most of you guys hear this episode tomorrow. But Joel Embiid has been ruled out of game one. And I want to wow. touch you on that, on that series after this. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, Randall was definitely missed. He could do a lot being physical. I know he had a, a pretty rough series in the first round, but they're going to need him if they, to contribute if they have any chance of winning this series. And I just Miami just really clicking on all cylinders right now. Like, they know how crazy it is. They were, they were, like, close to missing the playoffs. They didn't even take the play and in. They dethroned the number one seed in the, in the Milwaukee Bucks, and here they are up game one of the semis. This is crazy. Great, great play, great plays. Great coaching by Spo. He is an amazing coach. Arguably the best coach in the league right now. You can make a case for him. Uh, left in the playoffs, yes. Left in the playoffs, yes. You like and Spo's been around for a long time, and uh, even people always give the credit to LeBron and stuff like that. I was like, even before LeBron got there, Spo had that Miami team overachieving, right? Like that's been his character with this Miami Heat team and the Heat culture and everything. It starts with the coach. Well, it starts with Pat Riley, of course goes to Spo and then it goes to Jimmy Butler on his team right now. But it's just like this is this is Miami. <laughs> I think Bill Simmons called them the zombie heat. All of a sudden they're hitting threes. All of a sudden they're getting great offensive play. They're shutting down guys like that's that's not supposed to be happening for this team that was basically on the way out. Like after that uh they lost to uh Atlanta in the playing game. Everyone was like, "Yo, it might be over." Even I picked Chicago against them. <laughs> I thought Chicago just had too much offensive firepower, and then somehow Miami finds a way to do that. They go into the Bucks series. Yes, Giannis was hurt, but he was there going four and five. <laughs> and and they, they, they blew the, the, the Bucks blew a 16 point lead, blew a 14 point lead in the fourth quarter. And there's Miami, as you said, is clicking on all cylinders. They, they, they're playing with nothing to lose every series. And, Led by Jimmy Butler, as you said, you love his mentality. I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan. And just to see him play at this level and kind of not be the guy that you would pick in this, like you probably would pick Randall and Brunson 
against Jimmy Butler in the series as the best player. But Jimmy Butler, regardless, is just like, yo, I'm the best player every time I step on the floor, regardless of who you think is in front of me, who you think is better than me, whether we're a lower seed. Uh, his mindset is just different. And I think that's rubbing off on everybody um, on this team. And in Knicks, if they don't, <laughs> if they lose home court advantage, they're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, like this is essentially a must-win game for them in game, game two. Uh, despite yep. the fact that there will be, uh, what, five games left potentially, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a must. It's a must-win. You gotta, mm-hmm. you cannot put to go down 2-0, heading back to South Beach with Miami having all that momentum. Um, to touch on Jimmy Butler, let me ask you this question, uh, because when people talk to me, they, when people say for the most part, and Jimmy Butler, a Hall of Famer, I'm thinking to myself, he didn't really have a Hall of Fame resume, per se, but then you get reminded when you see a performance like we saw in the first round, and, you know, he would have seen the victory still. Didn't have a, a, an amazing game by any shot the matches in game one. But really good. Good enough. They got the W. You get mm-hmm. one, like, you know what? This guy may, may end up being a Hall of Famer one day. It kind of sounds – I don't know if it sounds crazy to say, but it's just like I don't say it with confidence, but he might be a Hall of Famer one day. Well, it's, it's funny when you, like – I've said this, uh, I've asked the question, I'm like, is this guy the Reggie Miller of this era in terms of... Oh, yeah, I, I, I said that in the group, but I didn't... Yeah, yeah. so, like, you look at his career and you're like, all right, 20 points here, 18 points here, plays well, all-star, multiple-time all-star. But then some reason in the playoffs, especially the last couple of years, you give him the ball and he's able to carry you to a certain level that you did not think of. And whereas Chicago might have missed that mark with him, Minnesota has missed that mark, Philadelphia has missed that mark, Miami has picked him and said, hey, lead us. And you wouldn't think of him as that type of leader. I kind of put him on that Chauncey Billups type of level of player um, in terms of just ability to play big time in certain moments and, 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 and be clutch. And when you need a guy that's a step up like that, he has been able to show, of course, over the past couple of playoff series, especially going into Miami, hey, there's another level of me that you guys don't know or don't respect, but that's fine. And to <laughs> think of Jimmy Butler as a, 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 a MVP, I mean, a Hall of Famer, like that's – it doesn't look out of the question with his recent performances, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't It doesn't look out of the question. Like when you, you think of guys that just step up and just play really, really well in certain situations, like Miami wasn't supposed to win against Milwaukee – when Giannis came back, like that wasn't supposed to happen. Miami wasn't supposed to get to the fin- the conference finals last year. Like they weren't supposed to do certain things in the bubble. They weren't supposed to get to the finals. So all these things that you think about Jimmy, but like it all surrounds around Jimmy Butler without him. Miami's probably where Atlanta is right now, right? Like they're kind of struggling trying to figure out where they are. He gives them an identity in terms of we got somebody that can at least go bucket to bucket against somebody, right? Like he goes into a series against Giannis, and and think about what he did against the Bucks. All season we heard about Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, yeah. Brooke Lopez, three great defenders who you think are going to be on all defensive team, very all those high calibers. He he bullied Drew Holiday. <laughs> he really like, did, and I still can't believe that I, that that happened. And then you, we, we all saw the, the 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 video clip when he says, I own you, when they were down six. <laughs> and then to turn around and win the game, like, we don't think of that. Like, when you think about guys that are going at Drew Holiday, of course, people say he's one of the most underrated players of all time. 
but to turn around and then just be this guy this season and stuff like that and still be that high-caliber player, we don't see that happen to guys like that. <laughs> so you, you think about all the stuff that Jimmy did in the first round, and now he's going up against this Knicks team without Randall right now. We'll, we'll see when he returns. And it's just like he can win this series and get to another conference finals. It's not out of the question. And, again, I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan, and I'm like, I don't care what you guys say. I'm taking him over a lot of guys because <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like this is a fluke. Like, how many times does he have to continue to perform this way that we're like, oh, he's for real? <laughs> Absolutely. And you, talk, you touched on, like, his previous piss up before getting to Miami, how it didn't work out for whatever reason that may be. But I just feel like with Miami, it was just like a hand-in-glove fit, essentially a perfect mm. marriage. He is he is the definition of heat culture. He has that, like, embedded in him, what Pat Riley mm-hmm. wants in a heat player. So it, it just, yep. it's just a, a, a seamless um, transition for him to be there in Miami, and he's just taking advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. And Miami is very fortunate to have him right now because where would they be without his play? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, let's take one more quick break, and I want to touch on uh, the last series we didn't touch on yet, Sixers, Celtics. So. All right, so game one goes down tonight. Uh, Sixers and Celtics, I just mentioned earlier in the pod, Joel Embiid has been ruled out of game one. It's a big blow to the uh, Sixers. Now, people get on players like Kawhi being out a lot due to injuries. Embiid might be just – I don't know if he's just as bad, but he gets hurt at the wrong time. (laughs) Kawhi just, like, like usually lower majors off the season. But Embiid just gets, like – just ended at the wrong time. And it's not even like extreme injuries like Kawhi had the last two years with the mm-hmm. ACL tear and the MCL tear. It's always like, well, last year wasn't like a a, um, a broken bone in his face and he got elbowed being lit. Yeah, he had, he, had, he, had a, he had a broken face. He had a broken face and he had a concussion, basically. Okay. So, and then and now it's, it's, a, a knee it's a freak injury, right? Like we saw in the in, <laughs> in the Philly-Brooklyn series, he was just falling down. It's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Oh it was like God. it was like Bambi on ice out there. I'm like, yo, what's going on? Like, but um, you find out it's a knee sprain, and as you said, Philadelphia, they, woo, they're in a tough spot. Yeah, real tough. Like, spot. I, I, I don't think that they can realistically win this series without MB services. I don't think they can win it with MB services, but they definitely mm. can't win it without MB services. I mean, we've seen, I believe, what was the match of the season? It was a two to one in favor of the Celtics mm-hmm. for the season. Well, of course, yeah. the one game they won, MB had to go for fifty against Boston, and I and I'm pretty sure JB didn't play that game. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much you can take away take away from that with under those circumstances, but it, it's just another blow. And it's such to see all these like star players like sitting out in playoff games, the, the, the um, games that are pivotal, series that are pivotal rather. Um, yeah. So now, now assuming let's say MB does come back, because they're saying that they are uh, just optimistic that he'll be ready for game two. Mm-hmm. Do you think that 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 the Phillies can make this a series? No. <laughs> And as a Celtics fan, no, they can't. <laughs> but um, no, nah, it was going to be tough regardless, right? Because like, when you think about the players that the Celtics have, guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Al Horford, even old age, Robert Williams come, continuing to come off the bench. Even a Grant Williams can have a resurgence in this series. Uh, you think about guys like that, and then you go to Philadelphia, and now they don't have Joel Embiid game one. You're relying on guys like Tyrus Maxey, who has been a bright spot for them since being drafted, I feel like. But then you get to Tobias Harris. You get to Paul Reed. You get to George Niang, P.J. Tucker, <laughs> Shake Middleton. And it's like, 
<laughs> this team isn't as good as it used to be, like as we thought they were and as they were playing. And it's just like, I really don't see any answers unless James Harden just goes ballistic, right? Like they need a James Harden type performance and him to be that guy that he was in Houston. And I don't think we're going to get that guy. So um, it's tough. It's tough. They're, they're going to have to make a lot of shots. They're going to have to try to find some type of advantage somewhere against this uh, this Boston Celtics team. And I just don't know if they can even, especially with Joel and beat hurt and even coming back, I don't think they have an answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's no, I don't think there's really any advantage that they're going to have against this Boston Celtics defense. They're too long. They're too athletic. James Harden is settled himself where he was three to four years ago. He's just not the same player. He's in another. He's in that, that post-prime phase of his career right now. Where he's still good. He still see. He still has the IQ. But he, they're gonna need James Harden to be like huge James Harden to have any first shot of winning this game. And I just don't think that he can resurrect himself that old version of Harden in this series. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Maxi too. I think Maxi is gonna be. I'm not gonna say exposed, but he's not gonna look as good as efficient as he did in the first round. Clearly, to going up against guess- JB and Tatum. <laughs> Because guess who? Guess who? The Boston Celtics are attacking James Harden and Tyrese Maxey every play. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna go after those guys, and, and and on the and then and when you think about it, on the the def, the, uh, the offensive end for Philly, they're you're gonna be running into Marcus Smart. You're gonna be running into Malcolm Brogdon. You're gonna be running into Derek White. You're gonna be running into Jalen Brown. You're gonna be running into Jason Tatum. And then on switches, you're gonna be running into Al Horford, who can at least try to protect on the uh, the perimeter. And then when you go inside, you're going to be going up against Robert Williams. So it's like there's no advantage. <laughs> there's literally no advantage, I think. And it's going to be tough for them. Yeah. I mean, if, if the Celtics work to, like, blow this series, which I don't think they will again, uh, that would be a very bad look. I think it, I think you probably have to question. Obviously, the coach will be going to take most of the blame, I think, especially him in this situation being a new head coach, his first time leading, leading a team in the NBA, the, and then trying to put the blame somewhere else, somebody. Oh, that's on deck. Do we have to break up Tatum and Brown? All this that's on deck. That's on deck for WE. Uh, <laughs> that's on deck. <laughs> if the Celtics, I said it. I said it to somebody. I was like, if the Celtics somehow go 2-2 in this series, and it's going back to what, Boston? <laughs> People are going to be sick. <laughs> Do you think that? Do you think it would be a failure for them if they don't get to the finals now? Considering how easy the path has gotten in a sense, considering that the Milwaukee Bucks are now out of the picture. Uh, yeah, they're the, they're, yeah, they're the favorites, and they should get to the finals. Like they should get to the finals. Like you're better than everybody else left. Like there's no, like let's just look at it. You're better than New York. You should beat New York. You should beat Miami if they come out. You should beat Philly right now. Like they, especially with Joel and beat her. Um, there's no question. They should get to the finals, make quick work of it, get to the finals and, and face whatever Western Conference representative there is. And outside, of course, I think there's a potential outside chance of the Lakers and Celtics meeting up in the finals, which would probably make a more interesting podcast in terms of rivalry. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of like, yeah, they should get to the finals. Like I don't like you, you, you guys are one of the best offensive teams and defensive teams in the league. I believe they're top five in both categories, they should they should be able to get to the finals with ease. And I don't think they should mess around here. You messed around with the Hawks. I said that they just wanted to go to Magic City and, and King of Diamonds. <laughs> like, you're in Philadelphia now. You're going to be going to Miami or New York. Finish this off and get to the finals. Like, as they, they've been saying all, all season, unfinished business, get it done. Get it done. 
Yeah, absolutely. Their finals at minimum should be mm. the goal. Or rather, the standard for Celtics and Celtics fans like yourself. Hey, if, if they if they weren't going to get to the finals, would you go on an epic rate on your podcast or an SMT? If they win the finals or if they go to the finals? If they don't get to the finals, would you go on an epic rant? Oh, I would be sick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would probably go in, like, to hiding. <laughs> you know, I'm a fan. You know, I've been on the, the – the, hey, we're getting to the final. I've said it before the season. We're winning the finals this year. We are winning the finals. I've been saying that. I've been against breaking up Tatum and Brown. If we don't get to the finals, I will be sick, especially with the the, the – the teams left in the Eastern Conference right now, I would be sick. I would be sick. <laughs> As you should, man. As you should. Oh, I might call out Murray. <laughs> hold, on, hold on. I didn't hear you. What would you say? I said I might call out of work. That reminds me of the Super Bowl when the pass lost to the Giants when the, when the undefeated streak was on the line. Oh, man. I was so sick. I did not go to the next day. I was I almost didn't go to work, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna go to work. I'm not going to class. I was just sick to my stomach. They really lost the game. If the Celtics, if the Celtics don't get to the finals, I am probably gonna hide (laughs) in my crib for a couple days. Like that is crazy. They got to get to the finals, man. There's no excuse unless unless Brown and Tatum have some catastrophic catastrophic leg injury or something like that. Uh, that's the only bailout I have, but other than that, they should get to the finals. <laughs> they should get to the finals. Facts, facts. Well, uh, man, I think I'll, we can stop right here. Um, I know you got your you part of work on. When should people expect the next episode to be out? Uh, hopefully in the morning. I'm trying to work on it after this, of course, and, and try to put that together. Of course, I'm talking about the second round a little bit more um, and the playoff MVP so far because I feel like a lot of guys are playing up to standard and playing at a high standard. And that needs to be looked at, especially Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, guys like that who have been playing really well. And I think that's a little bit more better in terms of looking at who's the best player in the playoffs because, you know, it's a, it's a shorter sample size, right, right? rather than an 82-game season where yeah. everyone's – oh, the MVPs this week, and it's like, is it really necessary right now? But I feel like with the short series and stuff like that, the the, the, the short uh, – the small sample size, it's a lot easier to talk about. <laughs> Oh, facts, man. Well, yeah, I can't wait to hear that. And hopefully it comes out soon. So, uh, yeah, keep it going. The Basketball Soapbox, that will be out to a new episode. My guy, good talking to you, man. Enjoy the game. Um, we'll chat throughout the week in SNT and, you know, through text and all that like we always do. Yep, as always. Thanks, man. All right, my guy. Take care. You too. And that is it for this episode. Salute to the homie Daniel Daly for holding me down. Um, salute you guys for listening and for your continued support. And if you're just checking out this podcast for the first time, I appreciate it. And hopefully you'll stick around. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, as it is available just about everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. That, that includes Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And, and also, you can keep up with me on, on social media as well, Instagram and Twitter, at MrVincent13. And you can also like my Facebook fan page as well, Emmanuel Vincent. Um, that's all the time I have now. Uh, you guys will hear from me next week. Until then, enjoy these games slated for the rest of the week. Have fun. Be safe. Till next time, take care. <laughs>